let's just start with opening our sort of awareness uh, through the room for a minute and including ourselves and each other and what we see and feel. I'd like to propose a just a brief playful exercise of um, for each of us to pick maybe one person that you would silently welcome to be here. It could be yourself, um, could be someone that you sense their presence behind you and you haven't seen them. And think that they're probably a really marvelous person. May this person be happy. May they feel quite welcome here, able to open to who they are. It's hard to leave it just with one person, so maybe we can do it for sort of the whole room for a minute. So all of us marvelous humans with our struggles, our beauty, let us each and all feel welcome here. These kinds of spaces are so special to me. Like um, when I think about everything that goes on, which is something that a lot of us seem to be doing now is thinking about everything that's going on and how we can come to a space like this, which is really an effort to cultivate something beautiful to be going on. And for each of us, we have different experiences of that and different needs, but um, Often we might find something of use in coming together for an evening like this. This talk, The Relaxed Mind, is something that has been a, a way that I've been making a lot of discoveries lately that have felt quite enriching. And I know that it's only one of the different faculties or possibilities for a meditative or spiritual or life practice, but I know that there's also, one could give also a long talk about discipline or something like that, but to just tune into relaxation and consider what some of its benefits might be. It's been very helpful for myself. So to think about, um, as we open to each other in the room, like welcoming the change into springtime and seeing that the flowers are coming up and you know, a week ago, my husband was saying, um, you know, there's a lot of plants that didn't come back. And then this week, some of them are coming. I said, honey, honey, they'll be coming. And no, they didn't all come back, but some of them did. And the flowers are flowering kind of in their own time. And what that feels like to contemplate something that happens in this way is very helpful 
for me to think about how practice works and how we grow that it's partly due to our effort, but it's also partly a natural process, a healing that can happen on its own, and especially if we make space for it. It almost makes me able to believe that um, healing or relaxation or welcome or whatever it is that we need is something that um, is available and might even be looking for us if we're kind of at the bus stop for it. Maybe even if we're not at the bus stop. I've seen a lot of buses wait for people, you know, <laughs> people who are running and aren't there at the right time. And this learning, I would call it a teaching, a learning really about uh, relaxation is something that I received um, primarily recently through some Tibetan lineages of Buddhist practice. Um, that they may have a little bit of a different flavor. Not that the sense of tranquility and relaxing and equanimity isn't a giant part of um, insight meditation lineages too, but I just want to acknowledge the way that I started in taking relaxation as kind of a thing. It was actually a long time ago in um, 2001. It was July and I did a retreat with a Tibetan Lama named Chugyal Rinpoche, who I don't think has come to the U.S. even once since that time. And he had rent, he and his f followers or his organizers had rented a huge monastery in the Hudson Valley. And I arrived a little bit late with my friend and there wasn't really a, a retreat going on that I could see. Like we met in the meditation hall twice a day and there were these kind of funny sessions where, you know, we're used to, people who've done meditation retreats are used to sort of have, you know, bells and schedule and walking up and down and stuff. And we had one hour where we would sit for 20 minutes and be told not to meditate, wander around for 20 minutes and told not to go in a straight line to just try to wander as aimlessly as you could for 20 minutes and also not meditate and then lie down and not meditate and then do it again. And then that was it. And then after another day or two, he, the, teacher allowed us to have one minute of meditation per day. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is, this is different. <laughs> so my memory of that retreat is kind of, we weren't didn't necessarily have to be silence either, e silent either, and he, we had times walking around with my friend kind of wondering, what the hell are we doing here? What is this? <laughs> and he had a pretty thick um, accent in English, in his English, so he would start saying, realize, realize. And I thought he meant, oh, realize, oh my God, realize the truth of the totality. But actually what he meant was relax, relax. So he was saying, relax, relax. Um, and it had a really tremendous impact on my sense of what my practice was and should be and could be. And, you know, that I was always sort of like always trying to get somewhere and do something and do it right and stuff like that. And this was like taking all of that away. And um, it was really a turning point. And that was around the 4th of July and he taught us this prayer for people who die in violence. And just a few months later, the planes arrived and hit the trade center and things seemed to change. And I sort of start to feel like that summer was in some other time, you know, before the time that we have now, even though that was also a time of great difficulty for people. It feels like there's been shifts in the world in which for me, relaxation becomes a also um, kind of a powerful refuge and it, this is part of why I need myself to relax and why I want to talk about it because of, um, in a way, what we live with right now 
culturally and globally. Um, maybe not everyone shares a sense of deeper unrest than we really like to be having, but maybe we do, s some of us share that. And although there's also very positive turnings in the wheel in terms of you know, mutual social tolerance and stuff like that, the forces are really at play. Like there's this tug of war between the, you know, the loving and the divisive and the, the dangerous and, you know, the possibility and the catastrophic. Where even it seems the positive aspect of global culture or the fun of things um, seems to be moving really fast. Changes are fast. Maybe each of us feels a little bit left behind or not totally able to keep up with changes or demands or responsibility. Um, I often hear people talk about feeling overwhelmed um, in our lives. Certainly something I have felt um, a need to, you know, want to contribute to a solution but not really know how or be, you know, be part of um, not being trapped in systems that are crushing human beings and all life on earth kind of thing. And what's happening in our communities, in our country and stuff like that. So it's like our mind can really start to spin and sink and crash and that and lose a sense of relaxing and to just letting ourselves be and like feeling into something more uh, basic or tranquil can be for me very important and letting, you know, sort of letting go into this moment and saying, like my friend was taught in social work school, you may not be able to help everyone, but you can help whoever you, whoever you help is someone that you're helping. Um, whatever we're doing that's positive is what we're doing and it's what we're able to do and it's important to, to feel that. So I've spent some time this winter in New Orleans, which is a kind of a whole other culture and you can go into a quality of a bubble in New Orleans where it feels quite different and you don't really f feel like you're in the U.S. anymore and it's more fun to ignore the news than listen to it and stuff like that. And there's a connection there with a you know, much more diverse and friendly community, but also very, it's also a very violent place at the same time. So watching how people negotiate this um, sense of you know, long-term history of oppression, of slavery there, and um, what's happened to the river and stuff like that, and to have a culture that still retains a lot of joy in it, like a lot of interconnections where if you walk down the street in New Orleans anywhere, you usually pass by someone, and if you pass by someone you don't know, you usually say, hi, how are you doing? Or they'll say it to you, and you don't always answer, but there's a sense of like, talking to people, acknowledging each other, asking how they are, not saying like, have a nice day, which, you know, I've started getting into this, how are you doing thing, like, you could be doing anyway, but I'm interested in what that would, what that might be for you. The other thing that happens there is that there seems to be more sitting around that goes on, sitting on a porch or kind of a little bit of different time flow, different cultural time flow, so that when I came back here, I was a little bit shocked that even though I live here, you know, there's, most people won't say hi to you. They're just, we are just going where we're going, headphones in, or some people look a little bit grim on a mission or something. And I know I'm one of those people, so that happens. But I 
started talking some to some people in New Orleans who I met sitting around, and they were just sitting around, and um, sometimes we got into some really serious subjects, and one person told me, an elderly black man said, um, he was talking about something, I can't remember what it was, and he said, well, you know, I had to learn how to let go of things a long time ago. And I thought, that's kind of a practice, that's what feels like relaxation also. And personally, I'll say I was bringing like a, a very challenged project to that city at that time where I had been working on a thing for a piece of writing for a long time and it wasn't received very well in the publishing end of things. And I thought I was going to go spend five weeks there and kind of like work on it and revise it according to what I'd been told. And what I found was that the very, the whole spirit in which I was trying to address fixing what was wrong with, you know, this, other than unpacking what felt like, you know, an, a not very kind review, but also how it impacted my mind was to like try to get it over, like to try to get it in or try to get it to work. And I found that I could not sit down and work in that condition. I couldn't do it. I couldn't make myself do it, especially since it was a season of festivals and there was always somebody going by outside wearing sequins or something. And my husband was like, hey, there's music over here. And I'm like, am I going to sit here at my desk and be like this person, you know? No. <laughs> and I thought, well, what would happen if I just kind of like consulted with something inside me about what I might really want to do or what I might really feel or where I might really want to go and not try to make something happen that I think should be happening. Maybe I don't want to even finish this thing even though I worked on it for so long and I have a strong identity as a writer and blah, blah. And What if I said don't work on it until I feel like working on it? And what if even when I start to feel like working on it, I still don't work on it for a <laughs> while? You know, I just leave it alone and see if it's going to be mine again or see if I like it or something. And then other things happen, like when I made that space to just feel into like something deeper around where, you know, where am I going? Like, what is this life about? It might not be about what it seems like it was supposed to be about. Like, it might not be that all the things I expected to you know, make me be who I am or work out or anything are going to be there for me that wasn't, wasn't like that. So letting that be and letting that be true and then finding like, okay, so where can I go now? Like, it felt uh, very beautiful letting go of that and, you know, hard at times. Um, so I won't, s the, some life came back into the project and I'm pretty excited about it right now, but, um, it also doesn't feel like the same project, in the, you know. And maybe it won't work again, but we'll see what happens. My, uh, my literary agent said, like, I would never go to a meditation retreat, so I'm not interested in people who are members of a bizarre sect who have all these problems because they go to a meditation retreat. <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of thing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, it was like that. Um, I failed to interest uh, a, a certain important reader who was going to help me sell this thing. Um, which doesn't mean that's everything, but still. So relaxing, you know, can happen in different ways, on different levels, physically, mentally, kind of project cognitive-wise. Um, and I want to say a little bit about 
just there's some really good science that supports that relaxation versus stress. Like if we talk about what's relaxation, there's also like the opposite. It would be called stress probably. And it can make us sick, you know? And I think, I don't know, is there anyone here who hasn't ever wondered if you're stressed out enough to be starting to make yourself sick? Or even not sleep or something, or kind of not good for yourself? Yeah, you know. I mean, it's not every minute, but those thoughts will come up. Um, it affects all kinds of aspects of our body that I don't need to list. And there's other ways that when we run around letting stress get the better of us, we can also start to be like really not a fun person for people to be around and, you know, like not uh, flexible, not as kind, not so easy, that kind of stuff. Because um, we're kind of caught maybe in our own outcomes. I remember a few years ago I was... Um, in a kind of, I don't know what kind of, s one of these states like the people from Boston I was describing before and I had, it seemed a lot of things to do on, and it was all on my mind. I was walking across the parking lot at Porter Square Shopping Center and I hear this voice like, Kate Wheeler, Kate Wheeler. I'm like, and it turned out it was someone who used to know my mom who had died like 15 years before and recognized me out of the blue even though like they lived in Florida and I didn't really <coughs> expect to see them here. So the two things surprised me, first of all, was seeing this person and that they would remember me, which seemed astonishing. I, you know, my facial recognition is not that good, but that they wanted to say hello and that they had a little affection for me through my mom and they remembered stuff about my mom and stuff. But the other thing that surprised me was sort of the way that it caught me at that, at that moment to see where I was instead of, you know, and so it was kind of like meditation and sort of like stopped and it let me look at what was going on. Uh, and I was a little bit shocked, like it felt slightly disgraceful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be caught in such a, um, you know, worked up, buzzy, oblivious state, like kind of marching across that parking lot, you know. So she stopped me and it was sweet, like, in connecting with this other person, I sort of connected with myself. Um, yeah. So this morning I was listening to um, a podcast called Sit, Breathe, Bow, which is an excellent podcast. And if you want to look it up, it's on Spotify and stuff. But um, by an Israeli Zen teacher named Yuval Tal. And Yuval was calling for maybe a less project-oriented spiritual practice. I don't even want to say on the cushion, but he was calling for more laziness, much, much more laziness um, than what we're used to. And one of the arguments that he made that I thought was really beautiful and is quite similar to things that the Buddha said um, is that if you have a cut on your hand or your arm or something and you keep on picking at it or like pressing the lips of the wound together and trying to make it grow together and stuff like that, you're going to make it worse. That there's a certain quality of needing some space to rest and stuff and to let like the way the daffodils come in the spring, to let the mind and body heal themselves according to the ways that they know. And I think sometimes, at least for myself, I feel like because I have this practice and I have all these tools and stuff, I can get obsessed with using the tools rather than trusting kind of the natural aspects of the body and mind wanting to be. You know, we, we really want to be happy. We really want to be free. We also, you know, can tend to get caught up in feeling trapped and like not in a good place. But 
to know that like just as much as to be able to relax is like a thing that mammals can do like you see a cat lying on the ground and stuff we can do something like that you know even when you see a cat lying there like in the sun on the rug and stuff you can sometimes i think about that i think about being a cat on the rug you know and just oh wow you know like i can almost feel it right now we <laughs> we can do it <laughs> And that thing about constantly itching, itching at it, you know, the um, Buddha has that simile that everybody who's practiced for some time has heard about the second arrow. Have you guys heard about that? Mm -hmm. Like how much more you can do to yourself by trying to fix something or, you know, what, how much the mind kind of continually re-injures itself, like trying to get something out of you, you know, where sometimes, you know, you'll probably be okay anyway with not being perfect and that's a that's a like a smarter easier move than saying you know so at this point i don't know if anyone's starting to worry that we're all going to melt into a greasy spot you know <laughs> or be like <laughs> bad <laughs> or something what were we brought up to feel like um you know some some families or people or cultures really imbue young people and kids with a sense of dignity and that may not be available in the whole culture for anyone to feel that dignified but you know do we really feel that we're okay without having to do something more to ourselves better for ourselves become someone do something um i know that if i look at myself it's true that there's some stuff that could use some work but that feeling of being kind of flawed or imperfect at times in my life has had a little more strength and um than it should have because it tends to th uh help lose sight of whatever's good so the relaxed mind itself um the title comes from a book that one of my current teachers who's named Kilung Rinpoche wrote two or three years ago and it has seven meditations in it that you know start with just relaxing in the body and then figuring out how to focus on your breath with in a relaxed kind of way like which in itself once i started to do that was of interest because i was also trained in the burmese meditation school where it was extremely rigorous and extremely precise and you used a lot of energy and you looked at like really fine particles and you start watching those particles dissolve and stuff and it you know it was really quite thrilling and fascinating and you know insightful so at first to say like all right well sort of you know just sort of focus on your breath like you can as if you were going to try to look at something like at those flowers but don't look really at the flowers look at you know look at the space a little bit before the flowers and then just sort of let the flowers be somewhere around you know um or when you pay when you pay attention to the body see if you can go to the place inside your body where you can't really tell if it's your mind or your body anymore you know where the mind and body are connected but you actually can't tell them apart anymore and that was so different from what i had been trained to do that it felt quite uncomfortable like no there's a consciousness and then there's the object you know there's <laughs> you know it's very different um so this feeling even the cover of the book was kind of blurry and gray and i was like <laughs> you know i don't i'm not sure i like this um but over time i i worked on it for about a year doing these relaxing practices and reframing 
meditation as just sort of relaxing um, has made a big difference even in my ability to meditate formally on the cushion when there's no one else around. Like, um, it's, I don't know, a lot of us may come to meditate with other people because it's easier, right? It's easier to do with other people. But for me, you know, sort of, I don't know what it is, white Euro-American upbringing where, you know, you can relax. Like my father did used to golf on the golf course or on vacation, but the rest of the time you should be working, right? Working on something. And um, if you're not, is it the, the devil makes work for idle hands and that kind of stuff? It was, it was around. So getting to be task-oriented or feeling responsible or feeling obligated or feeling like I have too much to do is a kind of rut that my mind can get into. So the minute I sit down, very often I start thinking about all the stuff that my mind just sort of like remembers, oh my God, there was that person that I didn't get back to on email three days ago. I should do that now. <laughs> I, should <laughs> I should get up and do it. Because if I don't do it, if I let go of this thought right now, I'm going to forget it. And then that person will be unhappy with me or it's just not right. So guess who sometimes would bounce up and do that and then find a three hours later that I've been like... <laughs> 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 Or, here's another one, skip meditation because you don't have enough time, because you're too busy. <coughs> skip it because it seems like one more chore, uh, one more thing you have to do. Or also because you might be getting in touch with all this stress that you feel and you'd rather not do that, so instead you do something like shop for exotic pen nibs all day long on w the internet <laughs> or something, <laughs> and then figure out, decide they're all too expensive or something. <laughs> I've never done that, never. <laughs> I remember when I was, I was dating someone who used to teach uh, meditation in prisons and we, he came to my family's house. This was way back, what was I, like in my 20s or something, still kind of like under my parents, early 30s, I guess. And it was, a, it was a little bit fraught situation because my mother was dying and no, she didn't want anyone to talk about it kind of thing. So we were all like, and I was there because of that, but she didn't want to think that. So she kept m telling me that I had to get a job. And she kept arranging all these job interviews and I didn't go because, <laughs> you know, so then she was left embarrassed. But I was really there to take care of her because she was sick. You know, so it was like this crazy thing. So into the middle of this insane situation comes this guy that I dated for like a couple months. It didn't really, really didn't work out, but he told my parents that he was a relaxation expert. <laughs> and my father afterwards said, what is a relaxation? Does that mean he doesn't have a job? <laughs> is he trying to tell me he's on welfare or something? And I'm like, no, Dad, no. There is such a thing as relaxing. <laughs> anyway, you can see that I, maybe I came from a little bit of an extreme uh, <laughs> place, but been really great to become more of a relaxation expert and from feeling like meditation is a chore during the time that I worked with this a lot for a year I started to feel like really you know sitting on my cushion is such a nice time to let go of stuff and to you know connect with myself and to let my mind like you know settle in such a way that it can find its way through stuff so you know when you read that little saying that says anytime you're too busy to meditate that's when you should really be doing it 
I've started doing that sometimes. And um, there's a TED talk by Andy Puttycomb, the meditation mogul that says 10 minutes and you know you can really shift your brain state. 10 minutes of mindfulness will do it. And that happened to me today because I have like a multiple amount of things that are supposed to be happening and my mind will tend to telescope them all like until I've done them one by one and then it, they telescope back down again. But it's like, you know, monitor the Craigslist ad, um, see if a squirrel got caught in the trap, the ones that were stuck in the ceiling, write the Dharma talk, um, who's going to cook for our writing group on Friday, Should do I have to make soup or is someone else going to make soup, you know, like that. So I, I'm like, ah. So I sat down and with, and I started writing things about stress. I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about stress. So, you know, I'm writing, I'm like, ooh, here's a manifestation of stress. I'm going to write it down for the Dharma talk. And then all of a sudden, after being quiet for 10 minutes, my mind said, you're not always going to feel this so stressed out. It's not always like this. I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> just because I'm kind of sitting on my cushion. And then I looked at the stuff that I'd written down and I could see that it was coming out of a completely different state. You know, I didn't put most of it into the talk because it just felt like I didn't want to talk about stress the entire night either, but I could have. So feeling like the attitude toward formal meditation practice um, can change and start to feel a little bit more kind of loving or soft, a little bit like maybe I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sitting down with a necessarily an agenda for what should happen or how I should feel or where am I going or what am I aspiring to. Like, I find it's very um, deeply healing and deeply connecting and also supports a sense of awareness, uh, deepening awareness. This is not completely out of the realm of what um, the insight lineage kinds of teachings would say either. Like when you sit down and try to feel into what your experience is in the moment, um, come to the present moment experience. And then the next step that I really like is to see what does it feel like when, when you're present. Like what kind of quality comes into your mind when you're present versus not necessarily present. You know, and it can feel a little bit subtle, but it might be, you know, a little bit of softening or could feel clear, could feel a little bit bigger, could feel like things are more workable. But I invite you to, you know, test that out a few times on your cushion. Like, what does it feel like when I know that there's mindfulness here, when I know that I'm being present? Um, and that's a quality that can be not only with our breath or something, but it can be with other people as well. Like I had an exchange also with somebody, all these things are like hot off the pot um, text messages and I was wanting someone to do something and they said, well, you didn't give me enough notice. You know, I couldn't really do that. And I was like, <gasps> you know, I don't, I didn't want to feel like their oppressor or something, but um, it was something that sort of would have been better if it had happened. And the thing that I noticed that really hurt was feeling like I thought that they were making me, in a, you know, like a little bit of a split, like they were making me an enemy, a little, just a tiny bit. They were like, well, he didn't give me enough notice. So I wrote back and said, well, this is something we're both trying to do. And it's like kind of a challenging multiple task time with a lot of emotional resonance for us both. So let's, I toned this down considerably. Let's try to be gentle with each other, okay? You know, <laughs> you know. 
and as flexible as you can be and as flexible as I can be. So I said something that I thought, you know, this is going to a little bit express that I felt pinged by it, but also try to bring a little bit something, like not to say, like, you should help me, you know, or whatever, whatever, you should be different. And they came back and said, well, I'm sorry if I was a little short, and I, I do uh, really appreciate everything that you're doing, and we, let's, let's sit down and talk. If I sounded really short, it's because I just didn't have time to actually send a good, better text. And that just really felt like we could say what was a little bit true for us, like, Yes, they acknowledged they were a little bit short, even, though, even if I sounded short. Okay, they sounded short. They really did sound short. Um, but we kind of came together around being in, in the same place and not letting the relaxation, the lack of relaxation or the stress split us apart into kind of these enemies who were s everyone encased in our own sense of stress and not able to really like come out of it and soften to the extent of accepting someone else in your space in a way. So a little more I want to say about um, from the relaxed mind meditation perspective. Um, you know, the basic meditation in this series that I'm talking about is you just connect with your body and your mind and you invite your body to relax. Then you take the soft focus on your breathing or on something. Could be anything, could be a flower or whatever, and you start to look at the process of just gently teaching your mind how to focus with an emphasis on gentleness, like your mind is a wild horse or something and not to be trained by beating, but more with sugar and rewards or something. Like imagine, take it as a very like intimate and sweet practice. And then you start to see a little bit the wildness of your mind and stuff. Um, what starts to happen is that the relaxation and the lack of judgment, the non-judgmental mind can start to feel like, oh, you know, oh, my mind has wandered in this kind of nice way. You know, if you ever listen to recordings of Venerable Analeo, he'll say, smilingly acknowledge that your mind has wandered. Smilingly bring it back, rather than, damn it, you know. Why am I always so distracted? I can't meditate this really. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm the worst, you know. Everyone else is so quiet and I'm such a mess. The thing that I started to see in my own mind for my own working with a sense of agitation is that when there started to be a little bit more calm or relaxation, then I could see more clearly how urgently my thoughts would come in and say, like, you better write that email. You have to write that email. Or just, like, walking past something on the floor, it's like, you know, <laughs> and it's painful, but when there's a sense of a little bit greater like ease in the mind somewhere, then those things can sort of look like they have a shape, like you don't, you're not like in it in the same way, like they don't take you in as much. I can sort of appreciate the awesome power of the mental waves, um, but there's always a little bit of, um, not always. There can be a little bit of space around them so that, like, they don't, um, they don't hit me in the same way. And this is not just peculiar to modern human beings. Like, there's, I'm going to read a poem from the ancient um, nun's poems, the Terigata. And this nun said, when I became a nun, I thought I'd left everything behind. 
but I still carried all the years of running back and forth and around in circles. But today these circles have broken apart and been carried away by this simple wind flowing in and out of my body. My old thoughts feel like snow on warm ground. The breath taught me that things are always changing. So there's something in that, like the, the feeling of grounding, the feeling of gently focusing and um, as working in this, I'm trying to lay it out in a systematic way and I feel very proud of myself, I want you to know, because um, I'm not a systematic thinker very much. So what starts to happen is then uh, we might start to see that as we started looking at the quality of mindfulness and what it feels like, what the quality of being a little bit more focused feels like and sort of start to include um, not just what we're doing with our practice, trying to focus and come back and stuff and trying to see very clearly, but also start to see what kind of other atmosphere gets generated by that effort if you're doing it in a gentle way to start to feel into you know the whole quality of how we're doing this. How are we maintaining our practice? So, and that doesn't mean that there aren't times when we're um, overwhelmed by stuff or our practice isn't quite you know, able to tranquilize. And that may mean that we have need help from someone else or some situation is really needing to be corrected or you actually need to go, you know, study for your, the exam that you're worrying about instead of trying to relax about worrying about the exam that you're, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something like that. So there's a bunch more steps in the, you know, system that I was talking about. We got as, about as far as Meditation number three, after you start to notice qualities, then you start to see more about how the mind <coughs> works, and that's something that's also really important in um, insight and mindfulness meditation practice, and uh, where you just start to notice um, more like the nature of your mind a little bit. But I just want to say that it's, it's okay to take a vacation uh, when you're meditating. Like maybe it's okay sometimes if your mind goes on a little wander to let it wander some more, um, which is not necessarily how the instructions work. But I sometimes, you know, when people who have dogs, like you kind of let it sniff a little bit or you let it have some, a, a doggy good time, you know? Like maybe it does need to stay off of certain bushes and not cross the street at the wrong time and stuff like that. But you also want to let the, creature experience some freedom and for me the relaxed mind approach has a little bit of that in it like it doesn't mean that you can't stay present with it but um, feeling like I'm boxing it in and like I have to color inside the lines all the time um, not to do that has been very helpful so the last um, the last meditation in that is really where you just kind of let go and let everything happen and you know you can say that you're going to be aware of it or but maybe you're not even aware of it you're just really um, being there and not trying to control anything and that can become very profound in the ways that the mind starts to look at itself it's really not about generating some particular state of mind or vantage point from which we look at everything, you know, in a privileged way. It's really like living in uh, what we are from moment to moment. 
And that has had a lot of, you know, really personal ramifications for me that have felt just great um, into the personality level or the sense of um, what I have access to. So to close a little bit, I just want to say some um, stuff about daily life practices that can enhance this sense of relaxed presence. Um, I used to have a friend who would never hurry when they crossed the street. They made a point out of like, you're not, you know, don't, I'd be like, got to cross the street. And they're like, no, we're going to walk with dignity across the street. Maybe those cars are going to need to slow down. And I did see them have to scamper a couple times, but I kind of liked it. This feeling of take your time, you know, and even if we have a lot on our plate, there's ways that we can take our time. Um, even just in, again, a, a quality of being embodied, like putting on your socks or something. Just, you know, take your time with a few things um, during the day. Or stop and just take a minute and just open up to people around you and just feel people, feel yourself in a space with other people, something like that. Those are practices that don't necessarily have to be formalized and put into a schedule. Um, but there are a lot of little kind of open moments in the day when we could be like me crossing the Porter Square parking lot or we could be like sauntering across the P Porter Square parking lot seeing who's around, you know, like um, maybe you might think about saying how are you doing to someone. Some attitudes of like that we can run through our experience as a kind of inquiry, inquiry. Um, you know, how perfectionistic are we being with ourself? Like, what does perfectionism mean in my life? And is that something that's really helping me or not? Um, how much, if I'm making an effort, um, like, is it possible to, this is a also deep Buddhist <coughs> practice, and I feel funny to just jump over it like this, but the difference between intention, effort, and insisting on an outcome, on a particular outcome, and... You know, we seem like we do things for reasons, but then it's like a lot of times we um, have expectations based on how much we've, you know, done for someone or that kind of thing. Like, I bought all the groceries this week. <coughs> I want you to appreciate that. You know, not that those are conversations you should never have. But <laughs> anyway. <coughs> so there's a way that... Um, the clarity of our mind is not, um, it's when we stop meditating on the cushion, which is there's a, I think there's a strong relationship. I'm just guessing at this right now that the feeling of tranquility is a lot easier to access when you're sitting on the cushion, the kind of tranquil, relaxed quality. But in our daily life, the clarity of actually knowing what's going on doesn't have to be turned off. Like when we leave our, when we stop our meditation, sometimes I try to say like, what's the first thing I notice when I think I've stopped meditating, you know, right after the bell rings or something? What's the first thing that happens? Or where am I right now? And not necessarily feeling like it has to be a focus, but it just let it be known. Let myself get the information, uh, you know, what is my body doing? What is my mind doing? What is my heart doing? What's in my belly right now? And there's a kind of way that you can start to just live from that just natural being aware of yourself, which again is like 
it's just as much as relaxing as part of our nature. It's like we actually are experiencing something all day long and our thoughts and emotions are kind of meant to be known, you know, they're, they impact us in a way. So it's not a huge shift to just try to look at them, you know, as much as we're feeling them to also sort of have this sense that you're willing to just know what's going on. The difference in the, what you would call relaxation or um, without going off on a tremendous philosophical thing, but clinging and, you know, constructing around it. Like, can I just let myself know, you know, with deep simplicity what's going on for me now and, you know, what I am and even who I am right in this moment. And is it okay for me to just kind of do this, do, do me, you know, if there's a paint on my pants or something, um, can that be okay? And can me being okay with how I am right now be something that could also be an invitation to people that I'm with and an invitation for myself to see other people in life in this way, which doesn't mean that we wouldn't, you know, go to a march or something. I think we need to start resisting things right around now um, more than we have been. But I think we also really need this space of being able to just let go and let be and find something more um, kind of under the surface of our lives. Like when we're really listening deeply to another person and making space for who they are and what they say and may not always be what we think, but... um, just finding that quiet inside. One of the people that I met as part of the uh, leading the teacher training is this African-American um, environmental activist, John Francis. I don't know if any of you know who he is, but he was silent for 17 years af- and for 22 years didn't ride in a car, or maybe the other way around. It was 17 and 22, one or the other, but he was really freaked out by this giant oil spill. And then a young friend of his died, like someone who he thought had it all, you know. um, And being in his presence is something kind of special. He walked from California to Cape May, New Jersey, and it took him so long that he never went back because he (laughs) stayed in Cape May. Um, He started talking eventually. He joined the city council or was elected as a city councilman and stuff, but he still radiate some quality where you feel like it's almost like you can smell all the pine trees he slept under when he was walking around and so what he said is um you know when he was quiet outside he started listening to people more and he found that it was like really very intimate and in his being quiet one of the first things he learned was that he stopped being able to lie about himself and he stopped needing or being able to present himself as like this really, you know, cool person. He just was there, you know, to connect and not dissemble anymore. Another thing he said uh, was about being grateful for just the qualities of life itself, not the things he thought he wanted or should be, but he said, for me, When gratitude is on the edge of silence, it is prayer. It asks for nothing in and of itself. Instead, it patiently awaits for that which is beyond words and beyond the experiential. Gratitude affects our immediate world because it brings joy into our lives right away, no matter what's going on. We can have all we need, but without gratitude, it will never be enough and we'll always want more. So I'm not saying that we have to start making gratitude lists with this. 
but there's something about what it's like to not have an agenda, like for something else to be happening. Um, that makes a space for when he's gratitude on the edge of silence. Grati you know, it's not like you're making yourself look around for something to be grateful for. We're um, not going to be alive forever. Yeah. <coughs> One of the things I've thought of when, as the administration of the teacher training um, that I'm coordinating takes a lot of time and there's a lot of phone calls and a lot of grids and a lot of schedules and a lot of letters and a lot of invitations and things not to forget and 20 people to monitor and then all the people we're inviting and the week of this and who's coming in the afternoon and that stuff. Sometimes I've thought, well, you know, this is only going to go on for two more years and after that I'm going to take a big vacation. And then at some point when I started thinking about, well, I won't be alive forever, it's like, what if two years from now things have changed and I can't take a vacation. So I think I decided that I would start to take it now. <laughs> but it's a different kind of vacation. You know, it's the one that I've been trying to talk about. So I'll close with a quote from the Catholic um, spiritual practitioner, Thomas Aquinas, where he was asked to say what he saw about the nature of God or the, that, and he said, um, all that I've written about seems nothing but straw compared to what's been revealed to me. So, um, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.